Hello gang. Today is Friday the 3rd of December 2021. I didn't make a recording yesterday. I was too full to the brim with plague. I was doing lots of other things and I didn't prioritise making time for this. Um, Yesterday was a pretty cool day. That's the day that I went to go and meet my brother's special needs mentor. Uh, like an autism and ADHD coach kind of thing. That was really nice. Um, interesting to hear. Uh, interesting to hear the perspective of somebody who is both autistic and has ADHD, like my brother, and has professional coaching and teaching qualifications. So, speaks about the experiences that autistic and people with ADHD have in a context of like strategic ways to help which I think is comforting you know because if you see somebody that you care deeply about struggling with something for any reason most of our inclination is to provide comfort in the immediacy and then to provide help in the long term so that whatever difficulties they encounter are lessened. So that was cool. Um, And then my sister and I came back home and I had a media call, which was a much nicer conversation than I had anticipated. I thought it would be quite business exchanging of information kind of thing. So this is through my role with the Community Benefit Society that I'm one of the directors of. And we've been invited to participate in um, a new release the second edition release of um, a magazine about women in business and like lifestyle things, entrepreneurship, stuff like that. And the whole issue is called Disruptors. It's about women disrupting things in their personal lives, in their relationships, in their work, in the things that they create and stuff like that. And because all three of the directors of the Community Benefit Society are women, two are single parents, I'm a working class queer we made quite a motley crew, you know what I mean, in terms of representing a little bit of diversity about what women can be and what they're getting up to whilst they are being those things. And the the woman I spoke to, the founder director of the media company, very warm and generous, great laugh, really probing questions that took on almost a therapeutic kind of angle in the sense that the questions weren't like, what is your strategy about business in this regard? They were often more like, how do you feel when you're doing X, Y, and Z task associated with your business? How do you manage the relationships that facilitate or not the successful delivery of the housing program that you're trying to you know, see through to completion? She asked me about my parents and like, you know, who supports you? (laughs) How do you stay well as a human being? And we talked about our mutual love of trees and (laughs) the therapeutic power of being in nature. I'd like to rework that phrasing. We're always in nature. Yeah, even the way of saying go into nature presupposes that we are not ourselves natural and you can't be in nature, you are nature. <clears throat> she asked me how do I, you know, balance so many things, like doing the PhD, 
directing a CBS, writing fiction, having my illustration business. And I'm cagey about questions like that because the default rhetoric that is so often employed here is just nonsense to do with bullet journaling and grit and determination. And most of the answers that I've ever seen, you know, like in celebrity profiles or how does this entrepreneur manage their morning routine to make a six-figure business, blah, blah, blah. All, all of the content I've ever read in that theme completely ignores structural factors like how being a man or being white or being middle class or having English as a first language or not living in a war-torn country or, you know, the list is very long about structural things which you can't choose or control, which benefit or constrain your ability to do stuff. There's so much, they're just a magnifying glass. Those conversations are a magnifying glass for the individualism, the cult of meritocracy that tricks people into thinking that individual factors are the only factors that can have a causal effect on the outcome. So in answering that question about how do I manage to do so much stuff, I was cautious to mention my whiteness, for example, that I'm financially solvent and that I'm surrounded by people who enable my ability to exist and to be productive. But even then, I'm wary of the whole conversation around productivity, which is what I've been writing about today for my PhD. Because talking about how do you manage to be so productive positions productivity as defaultly good and unproblematically presents it as being a proxy for why are you so great? You know, it lauds and celebrates productivity as an appropriate goal in and of itself for your activities, whether that's business or academic or personal or fitness or, you know, whatever. Um, but I didn't want to derail the conversation too much and I really didn't want this woman to feel criticised, you know what I mean? I didn't want to, like, critique her questioning of me. But it was something I was thinking about, you know, it stayed on my mind, about how to, how to identity manage, I suppose. How to do whatever that thing is where you tell the truth as best you can, whilst also keeping relations, um, you know, kind and generous and friendly, but not wanting to feed into perpetuating things that you think are harmful. Do you know what I mean? Like this is a really, <clears throat> really visible in consumption practices. People who love fashion and the presentation of self through apparel, clothing, accessories, makeup. Can you participate in that and everything that's really re related to it without perpetuating harm I, <laughs> I guess the short answer is no because under capitalism you are definitionally involved in cycles of exploitation but that's just a bit of a cop-out response I think because it's not very helpful we know that what do we do about it today you know we need to buy a coat. It's winter. How do we do that in a way that causes the least harm? And how do we have conversations with wise and curious 
media company owners about how I managed to be so productive whilst also offering a critique of the fact that we're even talking about productivity in a tone that suggests it's defaultly good and is worth aiming for. Sorry, I'm just drinking tea because I'm still being treated roughly by this cold. So today I updated my website, my research website at Tiny House Research UK. I added a blog post there talking about pretty much this kind of stuff really, about my ongoing fascination with employment as the dominating way that human relations are organised. And linked to that, the idea of meritocracy. Because I think that meritocracy is one of the reasons why we feel like not too hard done by, by the cult of work and productivity and employment and stuff. Because the whole point of meritocracy is that it's a way to sell our own exploitation and like structural position in a reinforced and strong hierarchy of like the non-existence of social mobility really because we're taught that meritocracy exists and is real which means that there are enough opportunities around such that if you are willing to try hard enough and you have enough raw natural talent you can succeed despite whatever obstacles you may be able to identify. So it's a really clever way of acknowledging inequality and then saying, but inequality won't affect you if you try hard enough. And of course, if inequality is still affecting you, then that's just because you haven't tried hard enough yet. You need to keep going and be more determined and have more grit and have more stamina and be more resilient and all of those like buzzwords of neoliberalism, you know? And this is a topic that comes up a lot in my conversations with women who want to live in a tiny house because they identify the, the power of the force of this meritocracy <clears throat> and productivity and the dominating presence of employment in their lives. And they're looking for ways to distance themselves from being so complicit in and dependent on and wrapped up in that whole knot, that whole tangle. But of course you can't step outside of that system at all uh, because the entire notion of self-sufficiency is sort of a laughably macho delusional fantasy of denying our inherent interrelatedness and need for each other. You can't be completely self-sufficient. It's a nonsense concept because, first of all, in order to be self-sufficient as an adult, you have to be an adult and you can't have become an adult without having relied on people to get you there by keeping you alive. So it's a non-starter, you know, even if you think about the bucolic ideal of a cabin in the woods, you know, this like ultimate Walden, Thurovian, tiny house fantasy of a little cabin in the woods with a veg patch and all that stuff, all the raw materials that you need to make your tiny house, even if you chop down woods in the trees, you know, like chop down trees in the woods where you're living, you're still dependent on resources 
from nature. You're still dependent on trees. You're still dependent on a biodiverse ecosystem that will let the seeds of your cabbages grow into the food that you can eat. And, you know, self-sufficiency doesn't exist. Zero. But you can shuffle within the system, you know. You can be more involved in its perpetuation or slightly less involved in its perpetuation. You can be totally unaware of its machinations or you can be aware and criticise them out loud. Or you can be aware of them and think, hey, this is great, neoliberalism is good for everyone and meritocracy definitely is real and you can try to marshal an argument around that. Plenty of people do, you know. Meritocracy is something that presents itself as natural and innate and not, some, not a position that is, requires defence. <coughs> sorry, sorry. And being in conversation with women who are like wrestling with these big ideas, these big critical conversations within their own lives is so fascinating because some people... Some women that I've spoken to are really, I guess uh, I'd say more similar to my perspective, right? So critically aware that meritocracy is an ideology, it's not a natural phenomenon, and there's also no evidence to suggest that it actually exists, right? So the only thing that's real about it is that we talk about it as if it's real, but in fact the actual data empirically shows that social mobility is decreasing, um, financial inequality is worsening, uh, and that factors that you can't control, like the colour of your skin or your gender, have traceable outcomes in terms of how successful you are likely to be at staying alive or, you know, getting a job or being offered a rental contract or whatever. Um, and then there are other women who are really, like, fully into the idea that meritocracy is real and that you know, they like describe and explain their position living in a tiny house as being proof that meritocracy is real because it's only because of their own will and grit and determination and hard work that they have managed to escape the rat race and now live this ideal, like kind of ethically superior-ish lifestyle where they self-identify as being removed from consumerism. Uh, and, you know, like rejecting fast fashion and all that stuff, you know, and like use the language of the capsule wardrobe and are proud of how the materials that make their home are like sustainable in their eyes because they're, I don't know, timber or reclaimed or that they uh, have got solar panels and stuff like that. And it's just so interesting to try and understand how these women see and feel about themselves in terms of like their identities shifting, being augmented as they view themselves as being less mainstream and more countercultural sort of thing, whilst still believing in a very mainstream ideology of meritocracy, hard work pays off, you know, the American dream and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I've been writing about today. I didn't do any writing yesterday, just to say. Um, I, yeah, so after I had this phone call with the media company, I then had some client calls for my copywriting work and was busy all afternoon with, uh, I was writing some scripts for some videos. Um, and then I went to bed at like 8pm. I feel so ill still. What is it about having a cold that like robs you of any dignity you used to have? 
there's nothing like a cold to make you feel so pathetic and weak. I don't mean to go on about this, but last year I broke my leg, right? It was really, really bad break. I had something called a Schatzka fracture, which means that the tibia and fibula, the two bones in your lower leg and your shin, both break and the break travels up into the tibial plateau, which is the shelf of bone that your kneecap rests on. And so it broke into something maybe like eight or nine places or something like that. And I can't tell you anything here that you either don't already know or can't surmise. That kind of trauma, like in a a body sense, you know, is breathtakingly painful. It's indescribable, mind-altering pain. It's a new level of existence of pain where you're in so much pain that really the only thing that you are aware of is pain. You like forget or can't, you don't have any other part of your body at all anymore. (laughs) Only this part that has been smashed into powder. And even then in hospital, it was very painful, but it didn't make me feel pathetic and sapped of energy and like sorry, you know? It made me feel ow a lot more than that. But it didn't make me feel, (laughs) and having this blasted cold, I feel like an infant, feel immobilised, I'm so torpid, you know? You know how hummingbirds, instead of to keep alive overnight, they go into a torpor where their heartbeat reduces to sort of one sixteenth of what it is during the day. And then they have to thaw out their bodies in the morning and get their heart going again and metabolising and everything. I feel like I've been trying to function doing all my normal work stuff in a state of hummingbird torpor. Only not cute and magical, just like putrid and pale and crusty. Thusly ends the self-pity section of the audio diary. Uh, my sister and I recorded our podcast today, Treason Review. It's a comedy educational podcast where we compare one treason and one tree on a five-stock scale. It's fun. <laughs> it's so fun to make that show. Um, and I'm going to go and do a bit more illustration work now. And I don't think I have anything more interesting or useful to share. I know this has been quite a short update but I don't want to just drivel on for the sake of it and I wish you a warm and friendly rest of your day see you tomorrow gang